0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us. My name is Brad. I'm the pastoral intern here. I always uh, love to come up here and just give a warm introduction, just go over a few announcements with us. The first one is if you could please check in for us. You'll see that information behind me. I am going to be, to be honest, this is our accountability session right now. I use the first service to remind myself to check in. I totally forgot this time. So you, you guys, you're keeping me accountable right now because I went back there and Caleb said, have you checked in? And just shame, complete shame. Um, no, but please check in for us. It'd be really appreciated. We love staying connected with you. Uh, also, we have our, our new monthly calendar that is out in the foyers. Uh, it's September. Wow. And so if you want to see what's going on for September and the next month of October, please, they're right outside these doors over here. We've got one announcement today, and that is the Point of Grace concert that is December 7th. This is going to be very exciting. Really looking forward to it. Um, You can get your tickets at eventbrite.com or stetson.church backslash fall. It has um, Point of Grace, and let me make sure I get this right again. Mark Schultz. Yes. Again, I, I don't know who that is, but apparently he's very good, and so I'm looking forward to this concert. If you want to be a part of that, again, those tickets are online. All right, that's it for our announcements. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue in worship. God, we just want to take this moment to come to you, God, and just uh, lay our heart to you. God, let us, let us be prepared for worship. Let us be prepared for what your Holy Spirit has for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. "You have turned for me my mourning into
1: dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with your gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Our God has turned our mourning into dancing. He has turned hopelessness into hopefulness, where there was no way, God made a way. Amen, where there was no way God made a way. And as we're about to sing, he has delivered us from the chains of our sin, he has delivered us from the bondage of our strongholds, and he has delivered us from things that bind us. Let me ask you this morning, if we could just read this scripture together before we sing these songs this morning, let's read together Psalm 30, 11 through 12. Let's say it together, church. It says, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And everyone said Amen. amen. Come on, church, let's stand and sing it now.
2: Overwhelms the darkness. There is a kingdom that forever reigns. There is freedom from the chains that bind us. Jesus. Sing it out, church. Who walks on trouble there is a song that comforts in the night there is a voice that calms the storm that rages jesus power in your name, we sing, you're my brother.
3: You know, the Bible says that Jesus is given the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of all to the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful message that is, to recognize that the name of Jesus means something. The name of Jesus says something. The name of Jesus lifts us into an opportunity to to be in connection with God in a way that we could never have other than Through Jesus. And that's why every month we come together and we share this time of communion in the Lord's Supper. It's an opportunity for us to recognize who Jesus is and what he has done in our life. As we take the bread and the cup, it reminds us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. As we celebrate the body that was broken and that was buried and that rose again, as we recognize the blood that was shed so that we might have forgiveness of our sins. It is a privilege of being able to come and to share. A couple of quick things. First of all, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, this is a time to reflect on your own life, to ask yourself, is there any area that... I know that I'm not pleased with and that God's not pleased with. Is there any area where I'm putting a barrier between me and God by my behavior, by my sin? The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So this is a time of confession to say, Lord, I confess my sins before you and I ask for your forgiveness. It's also an opportunity for, for us to come together I say that because, just because you you don't have to be a member of Stetson Baptist Church to partake in the Lord's Supper. We welcome anyone to come. All we ask is that you have given your life to Jesus and you've trusted him as your Lord and as your Savior. If you've not yet done that, we would ask that this be another reminder of how important that step of faith is. And then the other thing that I just want to be sure, it's a little housekeeping, is in each one of these little slots, there are two cups. One has the juice and one has the bread. Just make sure you grab both of those so that you can participate with us. If you're watching from home, we would encourage you even right now to go and get something to eat and something to drink so that you can participate with us. We would love it if it was a cracker and and some juice, but if you don't have that, we want you to be able to participate in the way that you can from your home right now. Let's have our servers come forward. I'm gonna have a word of prayer and we're just gonna share this meal together. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the way you love us. Thank you for the way that you take care of us. Thank you for the privilege of being able to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Thank you, God, for the body and the blood of Jesus. And God, give us the privilege today of recognizing and remembering just how good his sacrifice is to our hearts. Thank you for allowing us to have a relationship with you through Jesus. Father, we are grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: love that welcomes me, the kindness of mercy, that bought with blood wholeheartedly, my soul undeserving.
3: God really is so good to us. We have the privilege of being able to celebrate and to understand and to experience his presence in our lives. What a blessing to know the goodness of God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and he gave thanks for it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful for all that you do in our lives. We're grateful for the privilege of of being able to remember, of being reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross, of understanding his goodness and his grace. Thank you, God, for sending Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross in our place, giving your life so that we could have a relationship with God through you. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for faith and for grace and for mercy. Help us to live every day in the realization of the cross of Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to continue today in our walk through the book of Esther. Today we're going to be looking at Esther chapter 2, starting in verse 19 and all the way through chapter 3. I'll kind of hop, skip, and jump a little bit Through that, Uh, I'm enjoying this uh, sermon series. It it really is challenging to look at the Book of Esther and to say, "Okay, Lord, what do you have for us here? What what is what are you teaching us in uh, in the midst of this?" So um, today, we're going to be looking at an age old question. It's a question that you've probably asked at some point, maybe not with these exact words, but in some way that you have expressed this concern. Here it is: Why? Do bad things happen to good people? That's a really good question. And some of you have been there. Some of you have been that good person. You think, oh, Lord, why am I, I I thought I did the right thing. I thought I I did something good for you. I thought I did something good for somebody else. I'm a good person. Why are bad things happening in my life? We've also probably at times asked the opposite of that age-old question where we have said, why in the world do good things happen to bad people? Anybody ever been there? You don't have to raise your hand. So um the the, the idea is that we have a tendency sometimes to say, you know, I, I I I look at my life and I've got bad things happening. I think I'm doing a good thing. And then I look at other people's lives and they're not really good people, but good things seem to happen to them. Why do good things happen to bad people? Shouldn't it be, shouldn't it be, that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, wouldn't that be a whole lot easier? Wouldn't it be a lot easier for us to walk down the street and say, oh, they're getting, you know, kind of crushed over there. They must be bad people. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, oh, look, they're getting a promotion. That's a good person. It would be nice if we could kind of equate good things with good people, bad things with bad people. But that's not how it works, is it? That is not how it works. It would be nice if our circumstances were directly related to our behavior when we're good. But sometimes I kind of am glad of this whole, you know, kind of opposite world that we live in. Sometimes I'm really glad that, that, bad, that good things happen to bad people because, you know, we, we all have a tendency sometimes to, to not be the person that we know we should be. And then we're like, oh, let me be sure that, that, you know, we kind of apply that good things happening to bad people because I feel like I'm one of the bad people in this, in this moment. Some have actually even transferred this thinking and, and it's pretty common into our Christian life. And basically, this is the, this is the idea. If I will give my life to Jesus and if I will go to church and if I will read my Bible and if I'll pay attention to the pastor's sermon, and if I will pray every day, then my life is going to be good. Now, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, all of those things I just mentioned are good things to do. I don't, I don't want to, I mean, especially the part about listening to the pastor's sermon. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to lessen our attendance by this message, but doing those things don't automatically end up as my life is good. Many of you have done all of those things. You've checked all of those boxes. Yes, I, I went to church. I gave my life to Jesus. I pray. I read my Bible. I obey my parents. I listen to the pastor's sermon. I even sometimes put it into practice. And, and it's still, you're looking at your life going, this is not good. And that is so real. I wrote down in my, in my, uh, my notes, I said, the Christian life is not all rainbows and unicorns. And it's just not. It doesn't always work out. We're going to have bad days. Things are going to sometimes just be rotten. Aren't you glad you came to church for this message? I mean, this is really helpful, isn't it? The simple fact is that we have sometimes where we do everything right. And our life is still sometimes rotten. And we have to live with that. And we have to try to figure it out. And that's where the story turns today. Let me just read for you. Esther chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 21, a few verses down from where we left off last week. It says, in those days, as Mordecai, remember that's Esther's cousin who has taken her into his home as his, as her, as his um daughter. In those days, as Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bithen and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, his servants, who guarded the threshold, became angry and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Let's be sure we understand this. When it says they sought to lay hands on them, it doesn't mean that they were going to pray for him. It means that they wanted to kill him. They wanted to assassinate him. They wanted to get rid of the king. And this came to the knowledge of Mordecai and he told it to Queen Esther and Esther told the king in the name of Mordecai. Hey, Mordecai came to me. He told me something was going on. You need to check it out. When the affair was investigated and found to be so, the men were both hanged on the gallows and it was recorded in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Mordecai does a good thing here. He uh, he foils a plot to assassinate the king. This is a good thing. You would expect that the next scene in the story would be uh, Mordecai's award ceremony. Okay, you did a good thing. You get rewarded. You get promoted. But look at what it says. After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted You would expect it to say Mordecai, but instead it says Haman the Agagite. Now, just to be sure we understand each other, we're going to talk about Haman quite a few times through this story. He's going to come up over and over and over, and in your mind, or if you want to out loud, every time we get to the word Haman, you can go dun-dun-dun. Because he is the enemy of all enemies. I mean, he is the guy. He is the one that this, that is going to be kind of the, the mover and shaker behind the scenes and sometimes in front of the scenes. He is going to be the guy that is evil, 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 evil throughout the story. We find him here. He is promoted to second in command as uh, uh, of the empire of Persia right under King Ahasuerus. And it says that he is Haman the Agagite. Now, I know when, uh, when you saw that, you're like, oh, I know those people. No, you don't. Um, Agag was the king of Amalek, the Amalekites. Agag was a king of a people that were the mortal enemies of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. As a matter of fact, so much so that God, through Samuel, told Saul, the first king of Israel, to go and wipe out the Amalekites. And he did, except for their king. He preserved their king. Their king's name was Agag. Haman is a direct descendant of the king of the Amalekites, Agag. That's why he's an Agagite. Of the, Ag- of, of the Amalekites, which were the mortal enemies of the nation of Israel. You can see things starting to step up here, can't you? He is Haman the Agagite. He, he is uh, um, the, here, where are we? Uh, Haman the Agagite. There it is. The son, I was, I was looking for the scripture here. The son of Hamadatha and advanced, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And... All the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. Mordecai was the only one out of everybody that would not bow down to Haman. We are not given the reason here, but one of the reasons that we believe possibly is that maybe Mordecai knew the Ten Commandments. Maybe Mordecai knew that you were supposed to have no other gods before God. Maybe Mordecai knew that there was not supposed to be anything that we worshipped other than God. And so he was not going to bow down and pay homage to Haman because his only allegiance was to God. Well, this did not make Haman very happy. Verse 5. It says that when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. But he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone, so as they had made, as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. Talk about an overreaction right? Haman realizes that Mordecai is not bowing down to him, and so Haman, rather than just dealing with Mordecai, Haman decides. I'm going to kill Mordecai and all of his people. He's going to commit genocide for the purpose of getting rid of of Mordecai, this one that disrespects him, and everybody else. It's a terrible situation, and it's a a great overreaction that happens. So what happens is, in verse 7, we pick it up. It says, in the first month, which is the month of Nisan, there's something to be said there, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pure. That is, they cast lots. In today's world, we would say they cast dice. Something of chance that would uh, somehow be able to, to determine something. So it says, they cast pure before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar. Then Haman said to King Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from those of every other people and they do not keep the king's laws. so that it is not to the king's prophet to tolerate them. He's talking about the Jewish people. If it please the king, Let it be decreed, set a law, send out an executive order. Let it be decreed that they be destroyed and I will pay 10,000 talents of silver into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business. So that they may be put into the king's treasuries. What's happening here is Haman is taking the situation and he is elevating it. And so what happens is he brings the people together, brings the ones together that are going to kind of determine what is going to happen in this moment. And he knows that he's going to annihilate the people of Israel, the Jewish people. He's going to completely wipe them off the face of the earth. He even goes to the king and he says, listen, there are a group of people that do not follow your laws, that do not go the way that you go. As a matter of fact, they are spread abroad. By the way, you remember that there were a group of Jews that that the king of Persia sent back to Jerusalem. Haman's saying, We're going to get them too. We're going to go throughout the land and we're going to eliminate the Jewish people because of my frustration with Mordecai. They begin to cast lots. I, I don't know exactly what happened here, but it would have been something like this. They would have said, Month one, roll the dice. Oh, not a four. They're looking for a four. Okay, let's, month two, roll the dice not a four. Month three, month four, month five, and they would go all the way till they got to month 11. Roll the dice. Oh, it's a four. It must be, it must be month 11. Now, let's talk about the day. Day one, day two, day three, and so by this chance uh, method, they determined that 11 months later, because remember, they're in the first month, and they're, they determined that in the 12th month, they're going to kill the Jews. That's what's going to happen. 11 months later, it's interesting for two reasons. Number one, it's interesting because there's actually a scripture in the book of Proverbs where it says this, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Now that is not an encouragement to go out and start betting on dice. But what it is, is it is, a, it is a realization that while man sometimes goes about things by chance, God is even sovereign over that. Newsflash and flash forward. What would have happened if they would have rolled the dice on month one and a four popped up? They would have murdered the Jewish people. But over the next 11 months, that's why the story of Esther is so amazing, over the next 11 months, there's going to be a series of events that cause the Jewish people to be saved and not annihilated. God is in control of even the timing of what happens. 11 months pass, and God uses events in those 11 months to save his people from their ultimate death. It's also interesting because this message, and and we're going to hear this in just a moment, this message, this decree that's going to go out, that in in 11 months we're going to kill all the Jews. When that happens, it's an interesting situation because it is the first month when they are making this decree and making this plan and casting these lots. What happens in the first month of the nation of Israel? They celebrate Passover, so here the Jewish people are getting ready to remember and to recognize and to and to uh, 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 re-experience the Exodus from the nation of Egypt. That God is a delivering God. That God is a saving God. That God is a is is a promoting God. That God is for them, and in the midst of their celebration of. Passover, in the midst of their celebration of God's deliverance, they get this message. Verse 13, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, the thirteenth day of the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods." A copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province by proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. The couriers went out hurriedly by order of the king, and the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. And the king and Haman, dun-dun-dun, sat down to drink. But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion. The message is sent as the as the jews are preparing to celebrate passover they get a decree that says 11 months from now you're going to die you're going to be eliminated from the face of the earth and the bible says that this decree is gone is sent out the couriers go out hurriedly <laughs> and the king and haman they sit down to have a drink together job well done It's going to be a good day. Let's start marking off the calendar. Let's build a little paper chain. And we'll, every day, we'll tear. Oh, it's time for us to kill the Jews. What a terrible situation, right? And it all started with Mordecai foiling a plot to assassinate the king. And here is his repayment. Can't you imagine Mordecai sitting back saying, why do bad things happen to good people? You see, that's not just our life. That's right there in Scripture. So what can we learn from this? How can we take this in? How can we how can we receive this message? And what does it tell us? What does it teach us? Well, there's a few things that I think we can see that this, this message teaches us. Number one... I think we can learn that doing good doesn't always result in reward. Doing good doesn't always result in reward. It would be nice. It would be great if my behavior always ended in the promotion. It would be wonderful if, if, my, if my good actions always resulted in financial security. I would love it if I could stand up before you and say, if you'll do right, good things will happen. That would be a really fabulous message to be able to preach. And we would probably have more people here. Because they would, went, they would want to hear that message and say, hey, I see all those people down at that church. There are good things happening to every single one of them. There's not a one of them that has a hardship in their life. Their finances are good. Their job is good. Their home is good. Their kids are obedient. Their job, they're, they're, they're kind of promoting in their job. Everything is working out for them. And they'd say, I want to go be a part of that group of people. But I'll tell you, I look out across the room. And I see some of you, and I remember last week we talked about the fact that sometimes we go through hard times. And there were a number of you that raised your hand and said, yeah, I'm going through a hard time right now. Yeah, I'm going through a struggle. Yeah, I need to know that God's with me. This is not easy. This is not working out well. Doing good doesn't always result in reward. We have to come to grips with that. That our behavior and our actions are not always going to come to a point where we go, hey, I did the right thing and everything good happened. Sometimes we're going to do the right thing and the exact opposite is going to happen to us. So what do we do about that? I'm going to make this as blunt as I possibly can. What do we do as a result of the fact that doing good doesn't always result in reward? Friends? We do the right thing anyway. We do the right thing anyway. It it would be easy. It would be easy, wouldn't it? To to hear this message and say, hey, uh, doing good doesn't always result in reward, so (laughs) doing bad is a lot more fun. Doing the wrong thing is a lot more fun, so I'm going to do the wrong thing because I want, hey, if if it's going to turn out bad, I might as well add to it. I might as well have a good time. We must recognize that that while doing good doesn't always result in reward, doesn't mean that we need to go off the rails. We must do the right thing anyway. Because there's a scripture in the book of Colossians. I'll just read it to you. It's not going to show up on the screen, but just listen to it. It says this, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord. And not for men, knowing that from the Lord... You will receive the inheritance as your reward. Friends, we've got to recognize that our job as believers in Christ is to do the right thing anyway. To not just say, well, I know it's not going to work out perfectly for me, so <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just do what I want. We know what the right thing is. And we've got to live In that way, do the right thing. Anyway, the second thing that I think we can see from the scripture is that hatred is systemically destructive. There's a reason in the New Testament when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount that he says this. You've heard it said, do not murder, but I say, do not even hate your brother or your sister. There's a reason that he leads us away from hatred. Because hatred is systemically destructive. I'm not sure. We don't don't have this insight. But do you think that maybe the reason Haman reacted so strongly was because of the way that the nation of Israel had attacked his ancestors? Do you think that that Haman knew the story of Agag, his forefather? Do you think that Haman probably walked around every day saying, let me see if I can find one of those people? His hatred was so deep and so set in that when he had a moment, when he had an opportunity, He reacted so strongly that it literally led to the elimination of a people group off of the face of the earth. Friends, we must not be like that. It must be different with us. Hatred is systemically destructive. So what should we do as a result of that? How should we put that into practice? I'll give you... Two words, really simple. We must love first. We must love first. I want to be sure you see that. I want to be sure you understand. It does not say love only. But we must love first. Why? Because he first loved us. We must love. We must lift up. We must take a position of love first. I dare say that hatred and judgment and persecution have not won many people to Jesus. It just doesn't work like that. We must approach people with an attitude Of love. It doesn't mean that we agree. Loving does not mean that we agree. If you don't believe that, get married or have kids. Just because you love someone does not mean that you're on the same side all the time. But we must be a people that love first. I've said this once, I'm probably going to say it again after today. Friends, we are in a time in our country where there's a lot of naturally born division. There's a lot of strong opinions on different sides of an aisle. There will be a lot of words that are spoken over the next several months that will be words that are laced with hate. Not just dislike, hate. May it not be with us. May we choose to love first. Did you know that you can love a Democrat? Did you know that you can love a Republican? Did you know that you can love an Independent? You didn't think I was just gonna stop with one, did you? We can love each other, even if we disagree. We must be that people. We cannot be a people of hatred and dismissal and disposal, because hatred is systemically destructive, and we do not need that. We must be a people that are different. And even though we disagree, we can say, I disagree with you, but I do love you. I care about you. I just think you're wrong. I love you. We just see that differently. And that is okay. It, we're not saying that we've got to agree every time. But we must not be a people that hate. Okay, I don't have very long for this, but I want to show you one final thing. And that is that from up till this point, we have been looking at this from the perspective of we are Mordecai. Oh, bad things happen to me. Or we're Esther. Oh, this is terrible. Even from King Ahasuerus, who kind of was deceived into, into issuing this edict. And, and we look at it from the people, from the Jewish people. But I want to just kind of give you a quick left, left hook here. Listen. Yes, all of those things are true. But I need you to hear this. Friends, we are Haman. We have rejected the people of God. We have despised the wisdom of God. We were literally part of the plot to murder the Son of God. Our sin is a rejection of God's purpose in our life. Our sin is a rejection of God's presence in our life. When we sin, we are saying, I don't care That you died on the cross. When we sin, we are saying, I want it to be all about me and nothing about you. When we sin, we are declaring ourselves to be the enemies of God. And yet, Romans 5 8 tells us that God shows his love for us in this way. That while We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. Do you know that Jesus gave his life for people like Haman? They would completely eliminate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. Do you realize that Jesus gave his life for murderers? Do you realize that Jesus gave his life for adulterers? That Jesus gave his life for liars? Do you realize that Jesus gave his life for you? Aren't you glad that we have a God who would send his son to die for a group of people that have fully rejected him? And friend, you are one of those people. We are Haman, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, his enemies, his rejectors, Christ died for us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for that truth. Thank you for the reality that you are. In our lives. Thank you for the truth of of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. God, help us to recognize that, to live that out, to experience the forgiveness that can only come from Jesus. We are grateful. As you continue to pray, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond today. Maybe you've never quite heard that. Maybe you just think you've been a good person and that's going to be okay. Or maybe you're sitting here saying, yeah, I've got a lot that I need Jesus for. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer that asks Jesus to come into your life and into your heart and to be your Savior. Nothing magic about those words, but I'd love to lead you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, but right now, right here, you want to. You want to give your life to Christ and trust him as your Savior. If that's you, I'd just like to lead you in a prayer. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to point you out. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call your name. But I'd love to pray with you. If you want to give your life to Jesus right here, right now, would you just simply slip your hand up in the air? I want to give my life to Jesus right here today, right now. Give you just a moment. Put your hand up and put it right back down. I want to give my life to Jesus today. Amen. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Anybody else? I want to give my life to Jesus right here, right now, today. anyone else. If you raised your hand or maybe for whatever reason you didn't, you just felt like you couldn't, I just want to leave you in a simple prayer. The words of this prayer, there's nothing magic about it, but I just want to give you an opportunity to express your desire for Jesus to come into your life and to be your Savior. As a matter of fact, we don't believe that anybody should pray alone, so all across the room there are going to be people that pray. We're just going to all pray out loud. So just everybody in the room, would you just simply pray this prayer out loud with me? Dear Jesus, I come to you as sinner. I need you in my life. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I believe that you came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for me. Forgive me of my sins. And help me to live for you from this point on. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. It's an awesome thing to see God moving in people's lives. And I'm so glad to see what God is doing right here in this room. If you raised your hand or if you prayed that prayer, we would love to talk with you at the end of our time together. Just about what God's doing and maybe help you take a next step in your walk with Christ. I'm grateful for what God's doing as we've gathered here together. Let's stand together and we're going to sing one more song as we close our time together. Let's worship together.